Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I don't think it takes much to understand that the withdrawal from Afghanistan was, well, horrific. In a word, horrific. We left Americans to die. We allowed our enemies to get access to billions of dollars worth of our materials. We gave up an Air Force base that didn't have to be given up. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you twist and turn the thing, it was failure after failure after unmitigated failure. So why would anybody think that with Russia making its way to an invasion of Ukraine, why would anybody think that this administration can do anything to really stop them? The question that I ask Is this a conversation of deterrence or is this a conversation of desperation? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Instagram, Tony Katz, and of course, Rumble. You should check out the work I'm doing there, including my morning video series, The Morning Rumble at 10 a.m. Eastern, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Check it out for yourself. Let me bring in Noah Rothman from Commentary Magazine, Noah C. Rothman. On the Twitter box who has been writing about these issues and digging into these things. The latest being on Afghanistan. Joe Biden is delusional. And I want to make sure we're on the same page here. Um, uh, Noah, I want to play this for you right here. This from Joe Biden's interview with NBC's Lester Holt. An investigative report that's come out about the lead up to the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It, it interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, you know, people who are in, essentially in denial of, of this situation. Does any of that ring true to you? No. No. That's not what I was told that you were told that the U.S. administration officials were prepared, they knew it was time to get out? No, what I was told, no one told me that, look, there was no good time to get out. So let me uh, ask you, Noah, this take that President Biden has taken on this uh, report, is this a rational response from the president? No, it's entirely irrational. He was... He was asked if his administration was in was in denial, and he subsequently demonstrated that he was in denial. And you actually cut off my favorite part of that interview because he goes, "No, that's not what I was told." And then he, you know, he rambles on for a little bit, and so and then Holt says, "Are you rejecting the conclusions or the accounts that are in this army report, this two thousand page army report with on the record comments by a Pentagon brass?" And he says, "Yes, I am." So they're not true. Holt queries. And then Biden says, again, I am rejecting them. So he's not saying that he's that these things are, are false uh, or mis- even misleading. He's simply rejecting our reality and substituting his own 
because he can't comment on the facts of the of the matter. They're all they all played out before our very eyes, and they're now borne out by an after action report. An after action report, by the way, that Jen Psaki, press, White House press secretary, said didn't even exist two weeks ago. Well, we now know that it, that it does exist, and we certainly agree that uh, when it comes to not uh, understanding what's happening and what's going on around you, Joe Biden seems to fit that bill and seems to prove that at day in and day out. We watched how absolutely horrific the withdrawal from Afghanistan was. You make a different case, though, and this came from a, from a text conversation. I want you to, to expand on it, uh, because while you, you don't hold, a, a, as far as I know, a, uh, a position in the military, you're definitely a student, a student of history, student of Cold War, and, and, and of what we're seeing here on foreign policy, that it's impossible for anyone, regardless of political party, to not be able to draw a straight line from the Afghanistan debacle and the withdrawal to what we're seeing uh, regarding Russia amassing on the Ukraine border and what we will see as an invasion. Take us through that direct line. I mean, it's very difficult to prove um, the point that you can't – without Afghanistan as the predicate, you wouldn't get the crisis that we're in or will could possibly be in in the very near future in, in Europe. Um, I do think there is some supporting evidence to justify that claim, because we went through something very similar in April of 2021, Uh, very similar to today, although much more ominous than it was today. Russia moved about 100,000 troops to the Ukrainian border, uh, instigated a crisis there, and Joe Biden uh, intervened very directly diplomatically in that, aggressively and early on, um, and essentially rewarded this kind of brinkmanship with, by giving Vladimir Putin a summit, a bilateral summit with the American president, which is a, a very important thing. A lot of people in the West don't really understand how important it is, how valuable it is domestically to be seen as an, a direct interlocutor with the American president. It's a gift. Uh, and that subsequently diffused the crisis. And then we get this crisis, which is a, a different magnitude, a different order, certainly. Um, and it's much more aggressive. And it still looks like as unthinkable as it is, it's not unimaginable that, that Vladimir Putin could pull the trigger. And it has to be informed by how Joe Biden reacted to the Afghan crisis because it demonstrated that you can get a lot more out of this guy if you simply raise the stakes, make the costs of meeting America's obligations to its foreign partners uh, bigger and more expensive than Joe Biden is willing to, to provide, to, to pay. And he will back down. So, yeah, in that sense, I, I absolutely see that as, as being a direct predicate. So this is where I think within our conversations and maybe where America is, there there's this disagreement about what exactly is the price that we're willing to pay. As we know the story and we talk to people uh, about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, certainly this is about Vladimir Putin, who wants to see uh, the return of, of the glory of Mother Russia, who looks at the uh, the, the fall of the Soviet Union as, as a personal failing. He, he is a KGB agent through and through. I these things undeniable but we we wonder whether or not this is 
if if we already know that we have a commander in chief who is not capable, we know we have a commander in chief who takes a look at the after action report and tries to deny it right there on national television to everybody's face and and knows that he won't get a media pushback on it, something Trump never would have gotten or a Republican, we could even say, never would have gotten, then what is the point of it all? I don't argue that we should simply uh, just say to the Russians, whatevs, go have a nice day. But there's a real argument that now we have troops in Poland and now we have troops uh, amassing in some other places, not to huge numbers, but certainly to enough of a numbers. Is this really our fight to, to take on with a president who doesn't know and isn't willing to fight? Well, I, that really isn't a matter of, of debate. I mean, the president is the president. He has national obligations and American national interests that he has sworn to see to, whether he likes it or not. Now, he can exercise some discretion on that end, but only to a limited degree, because we do have ratified treaty allies who have a say in the matter. They get a vote. And they want American protection. They want NATO's protection, and up to and including Ukraine. The, the weird thing is that, that we kind of lose in the discourse here is as though we talk about Ukraine as though it's some sort of a pawn. It's a piece that can be moved around and that they have no national ambitions of their own or that it can be summarily re- rejected. Essentially, the West was deterred by the threat posed by Russia to Ukrainian sovereignty. NATO's, the Ukraine's NATO ascension plan, which was agreed to, a plan, was agreed to in 2005, hit a brick wall in 2008 in Bucharest and has never advanced beyond that. There's no, there's no ascension plan for Ukraine. The, America and the West are cowed by the prospect of Russian intervention. That's not something that anybody wants to talk about because the people who like to advance Vladimir Putin's line suggest subtly and coyly that NATO is advancing on Ukraine all of its own accord. This is not true. The Ukrainians are not ambivalent about westward orientation. They have had two revolutions in the space of 15 years in in favor of economic integration with the European Union, not military integration with the Atlantic Alliance. That has resulted in multiple attacks of both uh, kinetic the war in 2014, and uh, Sabrosa, diplomatic efforts, uh, cyber attacks by Russia consistently. And yet the country still backs, according to the polling that we have, integration with the EU by 58 and NATO, but 58 percent and 54 percent, as opposed to codifying a Ukrainian-Russian alliance, which is something to the tune of 20 percent, 25 percent of the Ukrainian public support this. Russia is, in effect, asking us to gift them a sphere of influence one that they cannot secure on their own diplomatically, militarily, or politically, because there's no other way for them to get it. And we're, we're a little intimidated by this, but we shouldn't be giving away any other country's sovereignty as though we had the capacity to even do that. The Ukrainians have demonstrated time and time again that they have a particular national ambition, and they're willing to fight for it, whether we were there for them or not. You know, it's funny that you brought up sphere of influence, because immediately I said, wait a second, I have heard that recently. And where I heard that recently was from Bernie Sanders, uh, the independent senator, the Democratic Socialist uh, from Vermont, who made the statement on uh, in the well of the Senate that it is ridiculous to not think that the United States isn't acting hypocritically here, operating as it does under the Monroe Doctrine. 
because while Mr. Putin, Mr. Uh, Vladimir Putin may be a liar and a demagogue, he says, and I'm quoting, but it is hypocritical for the United States to insist that we as a nation do not accept the principle of spheres of influence. So here is Bernie Sanders making the argument that you believe that Putin is trying to get us to do, which is to gift them the sphere of influence, and he's saying they already have it. That's what that sounds like to me. Yeah, that sounds to me like some very familiar communist propaganda, and I expect that from an old-school socialist. Um, It is nevertheless, uh, again, it sort of assumes that we have the capacity to do this, um, when, again, Ukraine has demonstrated time and time again that they won't accept it. And it also is it's a profound misreading of the imbalance of forces in Russia's own neighborhood. Moscow has routinely deployed military assets to create frozen conflicts, destabilizing conflicts in its neighborhood in the former Soviet Union, the, the former Soviet republics, because their publics aren't interested in integrating with Russia economically or, or, or militarily. Um, the, the only country that you can say which has done this, which has integrated with Moscow without really preconception up to the point of essentially accepting a de facto reunion is Belarus. And Belarus is Europe's last dictatorship. The public has no say in the matter. Everywhere else that they do, and in fact, the Belarusian uh, government very nearly collapsed Oh, last year or two years ago, something along those lines, when there was a, a serious protest movement against Europe, Europe's last dictator. And what did Russia do? Russia introduces troops to stabilize the area. Russia introduces troops to Kazakhstan to stabilize the area. There's a, a frozen conflicts in Moldova and Armenia. Um, half a dozen places within the former Soviet Union that all Vladimir Putin can do to keep his, you know, the, the former Soviet sphere and its in its various networks of alliances together is to threaten to destroy things, to kill people, to, to smash the country. That is not a powerful force. That is not an influential force. That is a very un, 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 unstable and um, insecure regime. It's acting very insecure. And there's no reason why we should feed into it and, and act cowed by this sort of behavior, but particularly because Ukraine will not let us get away with it. They have made well, it very clear over the last 15 years that westward integration is a national ambition. They will fight for it, and they will and they will make it an issue that we have to vote on, as it were, with our so you, or with our uh, with our influence and our uh, investment. You're making an interesting argument. You're making the argument that if Ukraine has just the slightest bit of help from the United States, they can handle this threat. Now, wait, or are you making the argument that they want to handle this threat because they still want to see themselves as westward looking? They would like the help. But I'm asking if they have just the slightest bit of help from us and what does that help look like? They can actually handle a Russian invasion of 100,000 troops? No, they most certainly cannot. I I didn't say that either. I want to make, but this is me asking. This is not me being accusatory. I want to make sure I understand where you're, where, where you're at. Well, as far as everything, it's not like I'm privy to the intelligence reports, but everything that's been made public suggests that they that the full might of the Russian armed forces brought to bear against Ukraine will decimate the army and overrun the country in the space of, of hours, if not you know a week, perhaps. Um, that's not to say that this won't be an incredibly costly, bloody conflict that will go on for a lot longer than people seem to assume it will. A war of attrition would follow. And a refugee crisis would spill into Western or Eastern Europe, and that would necessarily involve our allies and quite possibly us in efforts to mitigate the fallout from that sort of thing. But, no, the Ukrainian army would be crushed, as far as I understand it, relatively quickly. But that's not the concern. The concern is a destabilizing war of attrition in, on the continent. 
And we know that those uh, refugees, Poland is getting ready uh, for that. There are U.S. troops there. They've already said they'll certainly take Americans, but they're going to get a lot more. We're going to talk about this in the days ahead and continue to break this down and understanding of what's going on in region as opposed to what it is uh, that we hear. Noah Rothman, Commentary Magazine, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter. I appreciate you always taking the time. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. So the Super Bowl gets played. No one wears a mask. Everything's fine. Oh, there is so much to that story, but it's Valentine's Day. And I do want to help the lovers. You know, uh, producer, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a lover. I know. This is, this is true uh, about me. And so I, I, I like helping people with Valentine's Day. If you have any you know, advice that you want, uh, you want to pop the question, you want you're trying to figure out a last minute thing to do, I, I, I can help you. But, but nothing says Valentine's Day like this uh, tweet from uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. This is, this is beautiful. This is what love is all about here. Let me, let me, let me share it with you. And it reads, here we go. Valentine's Day can still be fun, even if you broke up. Do you have information about a former or current partner involved in illegal gun activity? Let us know, and we will make sure it's a Valentine's Day to remember. Call 888-ATF-TIPS. Or email ATFTips at ATF.gov. You got to love the fact that over there at the ATF, they're okay if it's just the tip. Oh, my. You can't say that. What? They, they're the ones saying it. A- ATF tips. Oh, Tony Katz, you what? know what you did. What? I. This is a really, really, this is weird. As people are putting out, uh, this is kind of psychotic. This is something that you would you would say this, that you could even think that this is an acceptable thing to tweet out is is insane. Just surreal. Hey, we're the ATF, and if you want to narc on somebody you used to bang, just send us a message. That's. Does this fall under revenge porn? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I used to date a guy, and he had two guns. And he named them. He slept with them. it's, It's beyond belief. Sometimes America is just not what we want it to be. This is ugly. We've got uh, the Super Bowl and an awful CNN. Oh, I've got those stories. And uh, the latest on where the Dow is. Keep it here. All right, let me do my best to take you around a bit of stories here. A bit of insanity going on. 
Do I start with CNN or do I like just avoid it altogether? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, absolutely great to be with you. You know, I'm going to start with the Olympics. I know, Tony, you're not covering the Olympics. This isn't covering the Olympics. This is the story of Nathan Chen, uh, a figure skater who won a gold medal. He's American. He's Chinese-American. And in China, uh, they're telling him to get out of the country. They've labeled him a traitor, and there are people on their social media who claim that Nathan Chen is too white. It's amazing the parallels between the communists on a communist-run social media platform and the communists on Twitter. All those woke folk. Remember, if you're black and conservative, you're not really black. So they, they do this kind of stuff. You're not black enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. It's amazing the parallels that are going on there. Nathan Chen's a tweeter. A, a, a tweeter. A traitor for, for being American? Well, that's a, that's a take. That is one heck of a take. Here's a take. CNN. There is a guy who's a producer and writes for CNN, still unhappy with Joe Rogan. The hatred of Joe Rogan grows and builds. These people are crazy. ESPN has taken Joe Rogan off of a UFC fight. That's, that's pathetic. ESPN has long been pathetic. What a bunch of tools. You know, I promised myself, and I said this to you, and I've been working on it. I'm going to learn more about sports. I'm going to learn more about all the angles. I am going to know how these things connect and how they connect culturally. I'm going to make myself a pro on this. And I've gone about doing that. And in doing that, you got to bring things up publicly and you got to be willing to get beat up. It's the only way you learn. It's how I did it in politics. It's how I'm going to do it in sports. Because I'm sick and tired of the sports guys who don't take any time, and that's the vast majority of them, they don't take any time to learn this world. And they just say things and they think they're right because they can scream in a microphone. I'm like, what a bunch of low-life jackasses. It's just, it's, it's awful. So now I'm going to go into their world, but I'm not going to do it their way. I'm going to do it the right and proper way. I'm going to learn how it happens. I'm going to see why it is important. I'm going to have historical connection. I'm going to understand where the conversations are, how to take a look at the at all of all of the possibilities when we're talking about, like for example, uh, locally, will uh, the Indianapolis Colts get rid of Carson Wentz? Well, the argument is yes. The argument is, yes, the Colts are going to do away with their quarterback, which now puts the Colts in this place of having, like, a new quarterback every year. All of a sudden, all, all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're Cleveland in Indy. You got a new quarterback coming every four seconds. But they have got a lot of money that they're going to have to put out if they don't have him gone by a... Uh, by what is it, mid-March? I think mid-March they, they got a bonus. They got to uh, pay him some other things that are, that are going to get uh, checks that are going to have to be written. So this is, this is clearly coming. We got to understand how these things work. ESPN wants to play in the political space and they want to be super woke. Well, they can kiss off. I don't want to hear their wokeness. Just talk the games and move on with your day. We can't have Joe Rogan doing UFC. You have no one better. There is no one better. Back to CNN. CNN, this guy John Blake, writes a piece. 
Now, understand we talked about part of this the other day. We got into this story over there. I think we were on uh, News Nation now. We were on News Nation now, and we were discussing that uh, that the, the political left, they couldn't beat Joe Rogan by calling, you know, going after him on COVID, so they called him a racist. Well, they've, they've chosen to stand behind him, Tony. What, what does this latest debate come down to, in your opinion? Mo mentioned money, uh, race, free speech. What, what is it for you? Well, it depends, I guess, which part of the equation you're in. The latest debate from those who hate Joe Rogan is that it didn't work when they tried to get him thrown off of Spotify for having an honest conversation about COVID. So now they went to this. You even heard there in part of the clips that it's something he hasn't said in years. So now we have to ask ourselves exactly how many years is it? And then you have to ask yourself, does that mean Joe Rogan figured out maybe that wasn't something that he should be a a a part of? And let's say that he did. Well, that's not even good enough for the people who want him destroyed. This is about destruction. Whatever you want to take about Spotify, keeping him, and certainly we can have the capitalism conversation, I'm down, I'm in. But this is about those who want to destroy him, trying to find something else to add on because their first efforts didn't work. So we had that. We had that over a week ago. We understood that. They couldn't get rid of Joe Rogan, the, the, the podcaster, the television host, the comic, based on misinformation and COVID, even though he's just having uh, conversations. So then they went to screaming racist because he said the N-word. Racist because he said this. Well, now CNN has moved into a new phase. And the new phase is Joe Rogan's use of the N-word is another January 6th moment. Proactively trying to destroy Joe Rogan. That's what's happening here. This is what CNN is doing. Now, what's funny is that's the tweet. When you actually go to the article, why shrugging off Joe Rogan's use of the N-word is so dangerous? I mean, that's a breathtaking thing to say. In Canada, this is an actual headline. Uh, on Twitter, why the word freedom is such a useful rallying cry for protesters. We're talking about the Canadian truckers, who they want to be free of, uh, of vaccine mandates. So over there in Canada, nice, sweet, loving Canada, the word has become common among far-right groups. Freedom is nothing more than a far-right talking point. That's something else. Not that freedom is something we should all want and strive for. It's uh, it's 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 rather that uh, it's something that's bad. It's something that's problematic. It's something that 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 hurts us. These people. Don't believe that you should have a say in anything. And look at the lengths they will go to. Look at the lengths. Every song that Javin knew. Freedom is just another word for nothing. 
It used to be, used to be the freedom was something we uh, we sang about, and we we went in the sixties. We're like, yeah, man, freedom, man. And now, and now, freedom, freedom's the bad thing. But it's not just freedom that's the bad thing. The very idea that you would oppose shoplifting only proves your bigotry. Judd, is it Legum or Legume or who actually gives a crap? Maybe that's it. Uh, he's a special kind of ignorant. Now, he has written for a lot of left-wing uh, sites, and he's got himself over half a million followers on Twitter. And his, his profile discusses independent accountability and journalism. Right, That's what he's all about. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the thefts. The thefts that are taking place in, in all over the, 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 the country. These thefts at uh, your local convenience store or your local drugstore. Well, he took a look at Michael Rappaport, who's a leftist actor and comic. If comic now, I think he's just an actor. I mean, ridiculously leftist, tough guy kind of nonsense. And he shared a video at a Rite Aid, which is a uh, drugstore in New York, where somebody was grabbing stuff and walking right out the door. And he's videoing like, what in the world is this? What is this? Well, here's Judd Legum, L-E-G-U-M, or is it Legume, saying that Rapport's got it all wrong and the people who repeated his lies, like the New York Post and Axios, got it all wrong, and proceeds to go through in a, like, 14-part tweet about how stores are closing all over the place. It has nothing to do with the theft. As a matter of fact, the theft isn't really a big deal at all. They rely on foot traffic, and more people are getting their prescriptions online, so there are too many drugstores. Well, that could very well be possible. It doesn't mean anything regarding the theft. But here it is. Shoplifting does not have a significant impact on profitability because these drugstore chains are insured and can recoup most of the costs stolen uh, from them. You don't think that shoplifting has a significant impact on profitability? If I'm in the local CVS and somebody comes in and steals half the makeup uh, on one of, on one shelf, do I still want to shop there? Or do I say this place, man, it's 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 run amok, the, the criminal element, I'm, I'm leaving. Or do I say, why in the world am I paying for things if they're just letting people steal things? Do you know how ignorant you have to be? Do you know how many businesses you have to have not owned in your life to think that shoplifting does not have a significant impact on profitability? Said, said another way, do you know how dumb that is? Because that's, that's pretty dumb. I actually have exclusive audio of the inner working of Legume's mind when he wrote that. Fascinating. But he follows it up. He follows it up with something sensational. It's so sensational, I don't even know how to address it. But before I do, I need to go back to the idea of shoplifting does not have a significant impact on profitability. First, of course, that's not true because it's only taking a look at the act within a vacuum and not how other people act upon the act. 
We see the shoplifting in our community. We react to the shoplifting in our community. He is making the argument that that doesn't exist. We don't go into the store at all. We don't go into the community, into the neighborhood at all. That has an effect. That has a massive effect. Also, it makes us question what's happening in society. What civil society condones the shoplifting, condones the theft? How can you have a civil society if you're condoning the theft? He doesn't ask any of these questions because people with small minds never, ever do. When you are so desperate to have an ideological uh, uh, outcome as opposed to a rational outcome, this is this guy, this guy, Judd Lagoon, who simply wants to be approved of by a certain group of people. Doesn't want to make an argument. Doesn't have to make an argument. Does not play out in the real world where people work for a living. People who work for a living know that this isn't true. I'm already having uh, business uh, guys, uh, business owners reach out to me for the part two of my conversation. The insurance costs don't go up? Of course the insurance costs go up. If you have a car accident, your car insurance goes up. If you have enough claims about shoplifting, the, the, the insurance doesn't go up. The cost doesn't get passed along. What are we talking about here? And how soon before the insurance carriers say, yeah, we don't cover you? Now you can't open up at all. And the society is not better off. But here's the big one. He tweets out, retail theft is up modestly in New York City, about 15% since 2019. But overall crime levels, especially violent crime, are way down since 2000 and even more dramatically since 1990. There is no crime wave in New York City. Retail theft is up 15%. And here is this progressive to let you know that it's moderate. It is moderate, I tell you. See, if you only have 15% more cancer, it's moderate. This is the diseased mind at play. You want to know why I'm not a progressive? This is why. Because you have to be able to say this with a straight face. You have to be so willing to dumb yourself down from the realities of economics. I can't do it. I don't have this skill set. I wouldn't know how I look myself in a mirror. How am I supposed to look at my kids? I got to actually be this kind of schmuck? And uh, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed. And these people have no shame because the ideology comes first. Doesn't matter how they have to lie to you, how they have to gaslight you. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. Man, oh man, I told you I had a lot to get to. I'm Tony Katz.